1: There was this all these other people there I
2: hadn't got a clue who they were, but of course they were the oncology team. So basically just said, I'm really sorry, but Lynn has leukemia. I'll never forget it. I just looked at this picture and I remember Lynn just sat there and she she sort of cried and um
3: it was just terrific, you know. Welcome to Grief Encounters with me, Sasha Hamrogue, and I'm Venetia Quick. We're a weekly podcast that looks at an issue that affects us all and yet remains so difficult to talk about. We'll be chatting to guests from all walks of life on the subject of death and all that comes with it. Our main aim is to motivate, comfort and create a modern space for people to share their own experiences. Could you think of someone that could benefit in listening? Tell them about Grief Encounters,
4: out every single Tuesday. I think uh, this week's episode is probably... For, definitely for me, it was, it was the most difficult uh, conversation I've probably ever had, I think, <laughs> with someone. Um, we spoke to Jane McKenna. Uh, she's the founder of the Laura Lynn Hospice. For people who don't know, Laura Lynn is the only children's hospice in Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it is named after her two daughters who both passed away.
3: Mm, and it's quite a, it's one of those stories that you actually make a film or a book, mm-hmm. you can sort of, you can't sort of make it up. Yeah. And then when you hear it, you sort of go, how can that possibly happen to yeah. one person on the one day? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I agree. It sort of was one of the more difficult ones. I think the one or two we've done where we've talked about the, the passing of kids mm. and kids dying. I find and I know you do as a yeah. mom that it's the more difficult ones mm. because you can sort of find some sort of rationale when somebody's older mm. to a certain extent, but when they're little, no. It, that's just really hard yeah. to do. And it was another one of those interviews that you sort of sit in there and when you finish, you realise you've got all the tears streaming <laughs> down your face. Oh, I know. You know, without realising it during yeah. the actual chat.
4: And that can, I'm, I'm sure that must be hard for Jane um, because her story is is, is, is so...
3: unimaginable and
4: traumatic and when people hear it I think it's hard it's hard not for the emotion not to just Mm. sort of pour out Um, obviously like you'll probably hear I'm embarrassingly bawling through the whole thing but I think that she she tells the story from really in great detail to Mm -hmm. us Um, and it was really remarkable that she was willing to sit down and remember all of that with us Um,
3: and share it and I think anyone who doesn't know the story that will be quite I think quite taken aback, I think this is um, an episode that's going to sit with a lot of people for a long time. Jane
4: McKenna is the founder of Ireland's only children's hospice, the Laura Lynn Foundation, both named after her two children, Laura and Lynn. Sadly, her vision to create the National Children's Hospice was spawned from tragedy. Jane and her husband, Brendan, suffered an unthinkable loss in 1999 and 2001 as both Laura and Lynn passed away to different illnesses, age 4 and 15. Jane is here to speak about her family's story and what motivated her to give back in her grief. Can you tell us, just to start off, a little bit about your family's story?
2: Yeah, we were married six years before we had Lynn, and um, Lynn was born fine, perfectly healthy. I had a tough time, um, you know, the birth was pretty, kind of, I had a, I had a hemorrhage at the birth and had a hemorrhage two weeks later, so it was kind of, you know, it was pretty iffy, but she was fine anyway, which I suppose was the main thing, and I was fine in time, of course, and the little girl we waited for for a while. And, you know, finally had and uh, Lynn, as I say, perfectly healthy, you know, she was an only child for nearly nine years, but she was quite outgoing and she went to a co-educational school, which was one of the first ones actually in Dublin. For an only child, she was quiet and she was quiet in one way, but she wasn't in another way, Mm. you know, and then she went to a drama. I joined her in a drama as well when she was about, I think she was only four or something. And she absolutely loved that. She really loved it and kind of thrived from it. You know, I think Mm. that brought her out of herself a lot. So she always wanted this little sister (laughs) and she wasn't planned or not planned. And and, and again, when we came to be pregnant with Laura, Lynn was nearly nine when she was born. And I suppose I secretly know people were saying to me, think it's going to be a boy this time. And probably for Brendan, I was kind of thinking, yeah, well, that'd be nice. But (laughs) in in a secret way, I wanted the girl and Mm. I knew Lynn wanted the sister. So I suppose when I I looked at it then afterwards, you know, I thought, well, whatever, if it was a boy or a girl, once they were fine. But unfortunately, when Laura was born, we kind of knew fairly straight away that there was a problem. And it was her heart. Mm. She, well, they said it was a hole in the heart. It was something that was repairable that she should come out the other end of. So that was all pretty positive while it was a shock at the same time. Basically, a little bit of the joy was kind of gone, you know, because of the not knowing what was ahead or, you know, the shock, I suppose, of having something wrong with your child. Um, We kind of knew the day after she was born in the rotunda that there was a problem. She just wasn't feeding well. And uh, they brought her over to Crumlin and I was still in the rotunda. And I remember sitting there in the room, you know, and everybody else had their babies and she was gone mm. and, of course, not knowing what mm. what it was or, you know, all that sort of stuff as well. And then for Lynn too, you know, she'd come in to see her. and I don't know, I can't remember at what stage we told her whether she knew at that stage, because she was only nine at that point. Um, but anyway I, I got out fairly quick That the birth was a lot easier than Lynn's had been and we went over to Crumlin and I remember the consultant Dr Duff he was a lovely man he did say to us you know she wasn't on anything she wasn't on oxygen or anything like that so that was kind of positive as well and he explained what it was and what would happen and he just said she'll probably never be um, a world class athlete but she'll be fine okay. well mm. as he thought and we thought that's fine we don't want to do <laughs> yeah, <athletes."> we're, <laughs> that. we're quite happy with that yeah. so that was the start of the journey, okay. basically.
3: So, after that, obviously, Laura had some operations yeah, for the heart. She had. So, yeah. every time she went into an operation, you know, that's a big worry yeah, for a parent, even yeah. when their child is going in for like a tonsillectomy or something. Yeah, absolutely. How, how was, obviously, for you and your family and for Lynn, what was that like? Sort of? every day when you watched yeah. her go through the doors. It was pretty tough. She didn't actually go in
2: until she was almost seven months old so we kind of had her at home for that stage. So and tiny. She was, <laughs> Yeah, still very tiny yeah. and still... And she was fairly good up to that, you know. She didn't have to be on anything particularly yeah. or that. I don't think she was even on medication but they knew, like they kind of said they'd leave it as long as they could so she wouldn't be too young mm. and then they put a shunt in the heart so that was the start of it. So she, she went in, um, I think it was August that year as well and had the shunt put in and uh, it... It, it seemed to have gone OK on the day we were there, but the following day, the figures on the machines weren't looking good and they didn't know what was wrong. And so he came back in, which was a Thursday, I remember. And he was probably after been operating in other places himself, I think. Um, but anyway, he came in, he brought her down to theatre at seven o'clock in the evening and Lynn was staying with friends because, again, you were trying to work around her. Mm. Again, I don't know how much she kind of took in or how much mm. she knew she would have been ten at this stage. Um, But anyway, he took her down to theatre and the consultant would come up and down every so often and actually at one point then they said, well, we think you should get Lynn in because we're not quite sure, things are not looking great. We did get Lynn in. And it really wasn't looking good from what we heard. But anyway, around 11 o'clock, I think it was something like that. And he came up after finally bringing her around. Mm. A shunt had got, or a, a clot had gone through the shunt and he had opened and closed her several times. And every time he closed her, the machines would drop again. Mm. I don't understand the full ins and outs, with, but mm. that's how he explained it. And eventually he found the, the clot, luckily enough, and he kind of saved her life. He was actually tempted to do the full repair, but because mm. she was so young, okay and she was on ventilation for quite a while and she was literally in the hospital most mm. of the time.
3: They probably said, the seed did it that this mightn't go yeah, as the well way as you it. were hoping it yeah. would
2: go. Yeah I don't think it was ever going to be as clear as we thought initially mm. you know our for them they ended up taking the top lobe of her right lung off just before that Christmas. Anytime she'd come out she'd seem fine when you were going out with her at the door and the next day she'd be back, mm-hmm. the breathing and the whole thing. So they felt this was the answer. So that was literally just before that Christmas, and I really thought she had failed so much because she'd been through a lot and she wasn't as well. She wasn't eating obviously. She couldn't, um, and she had ate fairly well for a heart child, mm-hmm. you know, to to a degree. But um, I I didn't think she'd come out at the the theatre. I was I think it was November. It wasn't long before Christmas or early December. I can't remember exactly, but she did. She came through. And she spent her first Christmas and her first birthday down on the 20th of January in um, ICU, which was pretty horrific. She was still on ventilation and that the, the ventilation she was going on. And the longer they're on ventilation, the harder it is to get them off and stuff mm. like that. And then the feeding, of course, they're fed through the tube and they lose the touch for the mouth and all mm. that. But anyway, she did come out shortly after her birthday, she came out and she did OK, like very weak and mm. stuff. And I remember going home, and I remember thinking, I can't press a button here anymore. Mm. You know, at least you yeah, can, yeah, even yeah. though I was delighted to have her home in one way. But but it was nerve wracking yeah, and she still yeah. had the feed tube Instead in of and it was all
3: encompassing in one way considering yeah. you also had Lynn's needs as well. Yeah, as you're a, trying to yeah, trying I to always feel equal.
2: Yeah, they don't time. they really don't. That's what I always feel because I look at you know, Laura Lynn House and you see the child, the sick child takes priority yeah. naturally. Yeah. And you know, the the other siblings, you know, it is very hard for them as well, you know. It's I think it's awful. But anyway, she did and actually before we left a nurse, she was really great, this nurse one they were all great in their yeah. own way, but you know, there's always was one or two that mm. are really special and she had insisted on trying to get her to eat again mm. because you see they don't want to eat because they're getting so many things suctioning and all that mm. and uh, she did start she got a big huge um what do you call them a uh, um, that you would put a needle in oh, I can't think syringe. of a syringe yeah, yeah. and she, she put the the thing in that um, got it sort of mashed up and started to get it Aww. in so by the time we got her home she was beginning to eat because her children are not mm. great eaters anyway at the best of times yeah. so she did she came around we went back in in March then for a visit um, you know to check her and that and obviously she was going to be back and forward a lot and she was on med- various medications and that she came out after that yeah. then and she never looked back okay. even you know she yeah. really until you yeah. know it came to the, the time for the final and, and again of course anyone who's been to Crumlin or knows Crumlin you know Amazing. the mm. cancellations I don't know many times they were mm. cancelled and now mm. it kind of went on they were going to wait till she was a little bit older and obviously, and she did She, you know we always say she was a little Shirley Temple she really oh. was she had beautiful curls and Lynn had the straight hair like mine she had the curly hair like yeah. Brandon's probably because he, he had yeah. that and um, she just was and she I don't know uh, you know I often say did she kind of nearly know now of course she didn't mm. but and I don't know much she understood of her own stuff and she you know I think sick children just think they get on with it and they just mm. they're used to it and it's part of their life. But I think for Lynn, looking at her was probably was hard, and she loved her, but of course, she still got on her because yeah. Lynn was going on to like 12 yeah. and whatever. And you know, she kind of there were times she said, please get her out of my room and don't this, that, and the other, you know. Mm. So, but she did, she absolutely adored her. But um, she did, yeah, she mm. was she was a bubbly little thing again, she ate pretty well, as you know, as well as a heart child and probably better than some. Mm. And she built up and she was to all intents and purposes. If you looked at her, she'd be fine. People who wouldn't know, except her breathing. Her breathing was never great and they did check her airways because of all that. But actually her airways were fine. It was just all probably from all the ventilation and stuff. She would be if you, you'd hear her coming now, mm. do you know, and we got so used to that. We didn't pay any attention. But like one of my friends one time we brought her out and she was quite, quite shocked. And we were saying, what? And because I mean, were we so were used so used to it, it. we yeah. didn't even
4: notice it. Do you look back on those years now, those few years where she was building, her strength was building and you guys, the, all of you were together? Um, yeah. Are those years very precious now when you when yeah, you look back on them, They are,
2: yeah. And yeah. we had, thank God we had, even though there was always, you know, she was never 100% by any means. But she was fairly good and we're grateful for that. And, mm. you know, we had lovely times and built them up yeah. until it came to the end. Mm. But the end, as you probably know, was pretty horrific because it was just the end of one journey and the start of another. So it I'm was gonna pretty hard. going to ask you now yeah. what mm-hmm. happened then mm-hmm.
3: because this actually is, yeah. Almost the shocking part that, that it can happen yeah, to one I person. Yeah, I think
2: everybody in Crumlin, even, even though they, obviously you can imagine what they see in Crumlin. And often mm-hmm. we saw families ourselves with safe children with cystic fibrosis. Mm. I remember one with three children and I remember thinking, my God, three with cystic fibrosis. Mm. But I suppose it was the way it happened for us because Lynn had always been a well child. Yeah, t- finally, finally, after being cancelled again in the July of that summer, um, 99, Lynn had been away with friends actually for four weeks weeks um, in Spain and then they came back and they were going to the Great. Club. So we didn't see much of Lynn at all. She was probably 13 because she'd started first year. She had done first mm. year in, in, in second level and she was due to go into second year. It was the 30th of August finally we kind of went in. We went in on the Sunday and the Monday then was the 30th. And they got her prepared for the surgery and again, we had to go ahead and that was it. There was no choice. Um, but anyway, the next day came and Lynn was starting back in second year. So we just said to her, go on into school. I mean, she was always quite advanced Lynn and I think she had to learn to be mm. more, you know, than me maybe some other children might be. Um, So we just said, go ahead. She was down in the Avenue it was close to us and she got her bus herself. And we didn't know how it would go. The same thing we thought, well, you could be cancelled again. So the day went on and actually we thought we were going to be cancelled. Brendan came in after he finished work. He was a postman, so he finished early. And I'd been there with her, I'd stayed all night. Didn't sleep very much, you can imagine. And she hated getting the needle, even though the needle wasn't going into her. Mm. Laura, because of all the needles, you know, she'd scream, even though it was actually going into the, you know, not into her arm itself, into the, the cannula thing. But anyway, it came to about three or something and Brandon was there and I said, well, you better go on. We'd sort of said in he might pick you up at school, but if he's not there, just go ahead home as well and we let you know, whatever we'll call you. And there weren't really mobile phones um, at that time we didn't have any anyway. So I remember he was literally left the hospital and as soon as he left, they said that Laura was going to go down. Now, this was around half three or something like that or closer to four and um the child before was just Hansel; it was a Down syndrome little mm-hmm. girl, so they cancelled. I think they, because we'd been cancelled before, mm. they didn't want to do it again. So I remember asking them, could we ring home? And we had to ring from the nurse's station. And I remember I'll never forget. I, I always say, it, Laura just said um, goodbye, Linny. She called her Linny. She said, I'm going to get fixed. <laughs>
0: Yeah.
2: and I remember thinking you know it was funny how she said and they all mm. kind of laughed like as well but anyway that's what she said yeah. so that were, they were her last words ever to, to Lynn or to, I suppose to anybody and mm. she was happy going down it was very mm. strange you know She was she, the trolley was so whatever and I think she sensed my nerves though because you know she said I need to go to the toilet and all of you because obviously she was well trained at that stage we got to the theatre and again I won't go into it because it's just I, I still that's one thing I don't talk too much about I don't know. I'd never seen... I'd seen several of the... Um Denise's sister yeah. yeah I'd known some of them I mean I'd known them well but this fella I had actually never seen him before and I, I don't know I never. I still don't know what the story about that was so I was literally there on my own with him and I was sat side and Laura was on the bed and again because he went to take the arm now he wasn't going to put anything in her arm but she didn't know that it was going into oh, the yes. cannula and he said um, she was kind of sitting up and he, he did he put it in but but um, Laura just fell back and that's the last I saw of my child alive now I didn't know that at the time of course and luckily my friend Mar, who I'd spoken about earlier who was over admissions had come up she knew I don't know maybe how she knew but anyway she was waiting for me outside so Elisa had her and we mm. went down and we went to the cafe and we, you know we said we'll have a cup of coffee and then Lynn and Brendan Lynn had gone on home and that's how we, we had ran mm. Lynn had got home just before Brendan got her so they came back in so that was probably about five o'clock I don't know and I I remember Lynn was starving because she'd had nothing and she just said um I'll get something to eat so she got a burger and chips or something and even though he might laugh <laughs> the hospital food mightn't be the greatest but she loved her food and she'd eat and when she you know she really did like her food we all did and um, she started to eat now we didn't notice this at the time but she she probably ate about two chips and one bite of the burger and she was actually starving so I don't know we knew subsequently why that was but I didn't notice it at the time but anyway um, for whatever reason we came out nerves
3: or anything anything. I didn't
2: really even think about because it was only later we thought Mm. about it because of other things but we went off out anyway Mara came out with us and Brendan had said to me, but probably, Lynn as I say had been away like for almost the six weeks so we really didn't see much of her and she had a nice tan she took a nice colour so I, he had said to me a couple of days before when we did see her finally around that time mm. he, he said she looks very pale, do you know I think she looks very pale and I said well, not really like she has mm. a colour and I said it's probably the late nights and they were in the Grail tucked and all mm. that sort of thing and her age no. You know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well yeah, 13 yeah. Yeah. yeah so I didn't pay any attention but funny he had picked up because actually his brother when Brendan was 10 he he was eight, he would be my age now, his brother, and he died of leukemia. But, you know, of course, I wasn't thinking and I think mm. Brendan was. When we came out after having the coffee and that and um, Brendan said to Mara the same thing, he said because she had nurse, she had the nursing background and he said, do you not think she looks very pale? Now, Lynn wasn't complaining, Lynn had said nothing. She did say to me they'd gone into school on the Friday before that Monday uh, just for a half day. You know, the way mm. sometimes they go in and it was a very hot day. And I remember her saying, I don't know if she said she did faint or she thought she was going to faint. That I did remember that after, but she wasn't complaining. Or didn't say anything yeah. about not feeling well. So Moira said, Yeah, well, she, I think Moira's words were she, she looks shite. <laughs> and it was kind of strange. And she did say, But look, and Brenda said, Well, do you not think we should have her checked out? Now, Lynn didn't object or say anything. Yeah. Mm. And she said, Well, you've enough going on up in the theatre. And I, I don't know. Anyway, we decided that we would. Morris said, well, if you want to then. And Lynn was OK with mm. it, she, one way or the other. She said, right. Um, so maybe she was feeling something that she never told us. And if that mm. was the case, she never did tell us. But anyway, when Morris said, it's busy in, in there now. She said, I'll get you in. We'll bring you in later or something. So anyway, basically, to make a long story short, she did go in eventually and um, they took the bloods. And I remember Brendan and I were standing I decided the bed and I did notice there were bruises on her arms. Mm. And I probably wouldn't have known anything about that other than, and again, people say, you're making this up, but we're not. My friend's daughter, my my best friend's daughter, and this girl was Lynn, loved her. She was very close to her, but there was almost 10 years between them. She called her cousins, we're, were not yeah. blood related, um, herself and her sister, Lorraine and Gillian. Lorraine was in James's hospital basically dying from leukaemia. So we knew leukaemia. We only knew Lorraine's leukaemia which was a different one to the one Lynn had as, as it happened. But I remember the bruising. I knew there was something about the bruising but we didn't say anything and nobody else did either. And then I remember some guys came back. I think there were more consultants and they said something about this rash. And I was looking at her body and I was thinking what rash? Because it was very hard to see. I mean yeah. I could see clearly in those days but if you looked it was like a pin prick rash mm. and sometimes I've subsequently learned that it is. It wasn't all over but it was in parts. So anyway we didn't think anymore I suppose I did the bruising did kind of concern me but I didn't think about it because I suppose you just couldn't let yourself Laura was up in the theatre at this stage um, so anyway we went down to the old hallway the, the new entrance open so we sat in the old hallway because we knew it would be quiet and um, we just said that's where we are like if you know if and when you need us. Maura had to go home this is getting late so obviously she was gone home and whatever and we sat in the old hallway probably around nine o'clock and shortly after that then um, they, they, somebody came from from uh, admission from the casualty admissions and just said um, we need you to come around and I remember they brought us around the back and into this sitting room and mm. again you kind of say would it not click you? And actually mm. it still didn't mm. but I never knew this room was there even and we went in we sat on this couch the three of us Lynn was in the middle and I remember looking at, there was photographs up there and then there was this all these other people there. I hadn't got a clue who they were, but of course they were the oncology team and Angus O'Markig and was the consultant, who's really lovely as well. So basically just said, I'm really sorry but Lynn has leukemia <laughs> I'll never forget it. I just looked at this picture and I remember Lynn just sat there and she she sort of cried because she, we knew Lorraine. You see, that was the problem. If we didn't mm. knew nothing about leukaemia, it might have even hit us as much because we might have thought, well, it's another thing that she, we'll get over this. And of course, at that stage, we didn't know what was happening with Laura. And um, it was just horrific, you know. When, that you know, must
0: seemed
3: like yeah. such a surreal, like you're Sniper. in some sort of movie where it's yeah, not.
2: Yeah, I think that was it. But... But she knew it was real, it was real. And, you know, he just, Angus just said, um, Lynn just looked at him and he, he, he said this afterwards. He, she, he didn't know he knew anything about leukemia, of course, at that stage. And he, she just said to him, um, Will I lose my hair? Mm-hmm. <laughs> will I have my own room? <laughs> mm-hmm. And will I have to have a bone marrow transplant? And he sort of looked at me and he thought, How does this girl know anything about bone marrow transplants? He said yeah. that, he told us later, he said he was quite shocked with this. But obviously, he knew then about Lorraine. In fact, I think mm-hmm. he came across Lorraine at one stage. Because they liaised with the different hospitals before she died, but um, anyway, he did say she did that leukemia. She has doesn't need a bone marrow transplant, and it didn't at that point. And he didn't go into any details about that if you relapsed within the first two years. Mm. But at that stage, he didn't tell us that we didn't need to know it, and we didn't. So it just that was it, really.
4: How did Lynn, at that age, your emotions are so hard to yeah, handle, to deal with, anyway? It. Yeah, with exactly. hormones and yeah, just development. Absolutely. How did she process? I mean, you said she cried a little bit. Yeah. I can't even imagine a child that age who's dealing with. Um, obviously such a huge uh, yeah. loss and trauma with her sister how did she deal with this um, yeah. information
2: yeah she just well you know at that stage obviously Laura was. She, she knew as well we all knew Laura was still up in the theatre and we didn't know what was happening with her so there was the worry of that no she was actually I, I said she cried but I don't think she cried I think she literally asked him those questions straight away and then uh, she looked shocked obviously and she was shocked as we were too and then we just got up when I mean, we had to go to, straight to oncology I mean, and she was admitted there and then. And I remember walking that corridor. Anyone again who knows Crumlin, you know, oncology is like right at the back. We used to laugh with them later on and say, why did you put it down? there?" It's like as if they're lepers or something. Mm. And they said, no, it's never meant to be that way, but it's just the way it was. Because mm. even when we had been in the early stages with Laura for nearly seven months there, and, and Lynn used to go into admissions to my friend and put stuff in envelopes for yeah. them and all when she, you know, she'd be kind of tired and or Laura was in ICU or whatever. But um, we never really saw a child with a bullet head. It is like you're kinda down the other end, except if you'd see them walking if they had to go for an X ray or go somewhere. But anyway, we went down and luckily I suppose luckily enough it wasn't too busy and Again, we didn't know this later, um, this man and his daughter, she was beautiful girl. She didn't survive either, but she was beautiful and she had this beautiful voice. I remember her singing when we were there for a while. She sang, it was her Bertie or someone's Bertie, and she sang. Um, but they moved out of the room and they heard, I suppose, down there again, they kind of said, we try and put them in a the room because we had to stay the night as well. Mm. And we had a room, this room to ourselves, which would be very rare, as Mm -hmm. we found out after, to share a room with somebody. And it's very it was terrible at the time. Now, obviously, Mm -hmm. there's a new thing there that parents have actually actually eventually paid for but um, it was terrific at the time and it was a long time after that and that the reason I know that is because I've been back there a few times for different reasons but um, that's another story but they're fabulous now what they have except that you don't have the same camaraderie that's the mm. thing so uh, I don't know like they, they put up this, the little beds for us and Lynn obviously got into the bed that was there and I don't know I suppose we kind of did sleep a little bit I mean it's the early hours of the morning we were called up first sorry at half eleven and um, there they, they was and one of the team told us that Laura was you know it was very seriously ill and that it had gone as well as they hoped it would go but he didn't sound great again he was very very pessimistic so we kind of had a feeling things weren't great but you had to hope because you know you had no other thing to do so I don't know I suppose about three o'clock in the morning they got us tea and some a bit of toast or something and they, they were in and out I can't remember too much of that but we did lie down and try and sleep and I can't even imagine I don't know if Lynn even you know I suppose she closed her eyes but at about three o'clock in the morning then we were called up and to the ICU and they just said that things weren't looking great that Laura um, instead of instead of weaning stuff off yeah, they, they were giving her more and more stuff so they said it didn't look very good so we kind of knew there wasn't a lot of hope. It didn't sound like it, but you still had to hope. She was alive, and you hoped maybe she would pick up. But I suppose at nine o'clock the next morning or something like that, I think they called us in and they just said that she was brain dead. So she she wasn't going to live. So there was no point in, in you know, they, there was nothing um, they could yeah. do, basically, you know. So it was pretty tough. And then they started to think about bone marrow. And that's when we first heard about the bone marrow, even though we knew it, Lorraine. But and um, they just said, just in case, that's when I suppose we realised that Lynn, um, yeah. if she did ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was a hard decision. I didn't find it so hard because I thought, well, if Laura isn't well, she was alive on the machine, But, you know, she's not going to live. And I was thinking if she could talk, even at four, she'd say, of course, take it. So Angus did say he was lovely. And I'm sure it must have been very hard for them because I don't think they'd ever seen this scenario Mm. before, really, even though they'd seen horrific things, obviously. But, um, he just said um i'll 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 they have to do the needle thing at the back and he said i may not get enough i'll know whether i can get enough some sort of syringe thing he knew if, if he could if he needed to do it or if there was mm-hmm. any point in doing it and he said um she won't feel anything or whatever which of course she wouldn't have so it was brandon more so funny i i just found he he was kind of nearly against it for whatever reason i don't know i suppose he was thinking will she suffer more now i did think that too but angus assured us that wouldn't happen so anyway he did this whatever syringe thing he had to do and it turned out that he wouldn't have got enough anyway so that was that decision so there was nothing to be done there and we had to tell Lynn of course as well so that was pretty hard I can't remember I can't remember clearly when we told her first and her reaction but she did come up I said to her, do you want to come up you know to see Laura so she she was very iffy because she was already started her own treatment at this stage mm. and she was quite weak and she she did come up anyway in the morning time and she spent a little bit of time and, and I, I don't know maybe you block it or maybe you just don't remember exactly but it was all pretty sad as you can imagine and I mean she looked like she was just asleep obviously you know she didn't look Mm. dead or anything well she wasn't I suppose at this stage she was still on the machine so in the afternoon then they said it was time we needed to take her off. So we had a little confirmation ceremony, that's what it was, in the morning, and Lynn came up and she took Lynn's. We gave her Lynn's name and um all of that. And her friend actually was allowed to come with her, Siobhan She came up and it was nice that she was there, I suppose we had people in the hospital. And then they said in the afternoon we needed to take her off. And I said to Lynn, Do you want to come up now? Because this was the time. And she said, I've been there, I don't want to. And I just said to her, Well, look, we'll go up and we'll wait for a little while. I said, In case you change your mind, because I felt she would always regret if she didn't. Mm. Now, I don't know whether she would or she wouldn't, but it's, she still had to make the choice herself. So she did. She came up. She she arrived up. We did wait a few minutes and for whatever reason, I think it was still with her. So it was nice she had her anyway. So we just took her off and we just held her. You know, she looked asleep. She really didn't. I suppose with children, they don't really look dead the way mm. an adult would, you know. But um, it was, a, yeah, it was yeah. horrific, you know. Yeah.
4: If you're looking for a safe haven to express how you feel, share articles, photos and memories of your loved ones, join the Grief Encounters Facebook group, a place for support, compassion and empathy for those grieving.
3: How did you shift then from obviously the, the next few days you had, we had, her you in had to plan the a funeral yeah. and yeah. you had to go through all yeah. of that? And then change your focus completely onto yeah. Lynn. How yeah. did you do that? I suppose in one way, you
2: know, you didn't have time to think with the whole with what was going on. You had Mm. to you just had to literally kind of take a step at a time and do what you had to do. We just decided we'd bury Laura with my mother and father in Glasnevin and and Brandon's mother and father were were both her parents were dead at that stage as well. My my mother actually died when she was only 50 and I was only 20. So Mm. her anniversary was there recently, but um, she died of lung cancer strangely as well. We decided we'd put her with my parents, I suppose, again, trying to think or not think. Yes, whatever. It was pretty, pretty horrific. Lynn, Lynn as I say, was already impatient, patient. So she did come home, I think, as far as I can remember that evening. And we, we just did the funeral. You know, we just, we didn't bring Laura home. We had her in Cronin. I w- would have liked to bring her home, but Lynn didn't want her to come home for whatever reason. I don't know why. So we saw, thought, well, it's easier for there. And it was a lovely little room that she was in. And in mm. fairness, but uh, it's not a place really that you'd yeah. want your child or that you want to be there. You know, your home would have been nicer if things had been different, mm. I suppose. But anyway, we did go to the church and I remember we carried the little coffin and that and then we just and now if it was now you just do it all on the one day I suppose but then you still did the kind of evening thing and then the next day so Lynn did as far as I know Lynn came home that night and stayed with us I think she did and then we just had the funeral which we barely remember we had the church anyway and um, we just Literally, I no. I think Lynn went back to Crumlin. I think on the evening of the thing, because I'm almost sure the priest said, "Well, they have to go," and we did. And then the next day, uh, we got her, and she, um, we came and just literally buried Laura with with our par my, my parents. And then we literally had to just
3: drive back mm. to Crumlin. That's but how did you did. walk through the doors of Crumlin, having just left yeah. without one of your kids? Yeah. How did you go back yeah. in? I don't know. I like, suppose where did that, How did you get that strength?
2: I suppose we hadn't got any choice, really, you know, we had to go back and that was it. I remember thinking. God, this place! Like we're back here yeah. again, and where we had to go, like as I say, the corridor yeah, was yeah. so long. Angus used to say when his office was over one side, and and he said he walked so many—I don't know—a couple of miles a day or something if he had to go several mm. times, and that's how far it was. And I'll never forget walking back in there. But there was nothing we could do, and you just went back in, and you had to start the treatment. Mm. And she did. Uh, she, you know, she did. She did well, 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 in the sense that the first chemo, I think, she was a little bit sick on. She wasn't sick on chemo after that, which was a blessing. I suppose in itself, and then obviously the hair started to fall out, and she'd get in and out a bit. All right, she wasn't constantly Uh. in, but initially she was in for quite a bit, and I suppose overall. Then ten weeks later, Lorraine died. Lorraine died on her 22nd mm-hmm. birthday in James's Hospital. And Lynn was really, she, I hadn't seen her cry or really talk much about Laura because I suppose she was concentrating on herself. She was also mm-hmm. thinking about Lorraine and I had only brought her to see Lorraine about a month or may, well, maybe six weeks before whenever, probably just before she'd gone away. And Lorraine was actually it was the July of that year, just early July. And I remember saying to her, "And Lorraine doesn't look very well. Now, everybody still had hope that Lorraine would actually live. I mean, we didn't know that mm-hmm. Lorraine w- would die at that stage. And I remember the day I brought her. This is very strange, really. I think I did write it in the book as well. I remember we drove over and um, went into James's and I said to her, now she's not looking great and whatever, because obviously she was very, very sick and really wasn't that long before she died. And um, Lynn sat up with her and there was people in her mom and a few because they have a huge family and there was loads of people. And she sat up chatting to Lorraine cause She she just adored Lorraine even though there was that thing between them because they knew her from the time she was tiny. You know, her son, Jill, Lorraine and Jillian, her sister. But anyway, I remember when we were driving. And home, Lynn said, God, I was just thinking, ma'am, imagine if I got leukemia, I'll never, fr- I always remember mm. that. And actually, she possibly had it at that stage because mm. that was the July. Mm. I just don't know. And I said, no, of course, that never happened. <laughs> never known mm. what was ahead. But she just, um, I don't know, she just got on with it and she just went through the treatment. She, the hair then she decided it was falling out and Gillian, Lorraine's mm. sister, she did. She went to Lorraine's funeral and that's the first time I saw her cry mm. in, in that church on the Navon Road. And she she was obviously thinking about Laura as well. And she that's the first time. But again, we had to go straight back to the mm. hospital.
3: But at that point as well, she already had the same thing. So yeah. in her head, she, she must have been thinking, thought, am yeah, I going to be next?
1: Be yeah, the only there must thi-
3: have been, there must have been yeah. something. The
2: only thing I suppose at that point it was the different leukemia. It was ALL she had and uh, AML is what um, mm. Lorraine had. Mm. And Lorraine always needed the bone marrow transplant which mm. she had had, which mm. didn't. And her sister was the perfect match, but it didn't work. Mm. But Lynn probably thought, well, at least I have the hope that because at that stage she obviously she she was going to relapse yeah. but she didn't know that. Mm. And whatever, you know. So she got her head. Yeah, she got Jillian just shaved the head. There was no point, mm. you know, when it starts to come out. And she still looked. You like she was, you know, she was lovely, and she had she her she never lost her eyelashes or her eyebrows, and she beautiful eyebrows and her eyes, she had big eyes, and you could see them. I always thought she looked lovely, and I remember there was another consultant, and um, he was very involved with the children's hospital. There, I still keep in touch a bit with, with with some of them, and that, but and probably because of Laura Lynn. But he was very, he was kind of, <laughs> he wasn't our consultant, but he was funny. And Lynn, of course, wouldn't suffer fools slightly and she said, you know, he'd, he'd drive her mad sometimes. <laughs> Any questions? And, yeah. and he wasn't, he wasn't our yeah, yeah. consultant. Yeah. She loved English, yeah, and yeah. she was very everything mm. was. Very Straight with Lynn, but she said she'd say, Here's any questions, whatever. And then he had this camera, a digital camera, or something mm. at the time they probably only come out or something. And he was saying, and I used to say, Is he a consultant or a photographer? <laughs> yeah. And he'd come in and he took a photograph of her. And actually, oh, I have, yeah. I think the photograph is in the book. He took photograph and he sent, he sent us the four, and they were beautiful, fo- you know, oh, of right. her with the, the head shaved and that. And then one time he came in after, way after that, I think it was after she relapsed, even, and there was something on her finger. It was nothing as it turned out, but it, maybe he wanted to show it to, his, you know, the medical guy or whatever he said can I take a photograph of that and she said yeah and I came in the next day and she said do you want to copy that and she basically told him <laughs> what to do with it <laughs> but anyway um, she, no, she was so cheerful she was great she got the first eight it was eight months sort of was the protocol she was on and she was in remission after the eight months but um, I can't remember exactly when that was but she only got five months before mm. the next Christmas she relapsed and I remember thinking could, could she it's not specific. have had one more Christmas mm. even with you know thinking Easy. she was okay yeah it was terrible and so, then it was pretty horrific treatment after that and Angus did say to her and again he always said did I say the right thing she sat down in front of him with us behind and he sat there and there was a nurse with him and he just said Lynn the, you know you've relapsed and the only thing now is towards the bone marrow and he said the treatment is pretty horrific you, you can take it or leave it and I, I remember asking him afterwards I said what if she said she'd leave it and he said I think I knew Lynn well yeah. enough and he said I would have given her all the reasons why she might change her mind yeah. so but it was the best way with Lynn it was the only way now she just she didn't even look around at us she just said I'll take it mm-hmm. but it was pretty horrific she mm-hmm. fit it in the January and she ended up in Beaumont having to get her head open because they thought it had gone into her head mm-hmm. and I don't know how many hospitals I said to her by the time we finish, in you'll be in every hospital in this country or whatever between mm-hmm. one thing and another and um, it wasn't that it was just the whole system I mean it literally I feel it. Now, it's terrible to say this, but and it's it's not true because thank God a lot do get through. But I kind of feel the, if, if the leukemia doesn't kill you, the treatment will. Mm. Now, she still got through it. She, you know, she she got through so much and got finally got to. There were no matches in the family, but they had matches on the, you know, this system, worldwide yeah. thing yeah, and the system and we went to Luke's that day you had to at that time would you believe you had to go to Glasgow to get this thing that they have to do before the Balmarra thing so she'd fly well we didn't we didn't in our case but they had little children imagine families having to go trauma and I Mm. think what that's what Angus I think he begged because she was borderline she was 14 whatever she was 15 Mm. at this stage or going on 15 around that time and I think he just said to Luke's will you please do this Mm. you know she's kind of an adult anyway and I think well I think now Mm. and that was back then I don't know mm. what they do now, but thank god we didn't have mm. to do that because even to try and get the you know to go, so we went to Luke's that day. And I remember because my mother had been in Luke's, and that was the first time ever I was over there. And then I couldn't go in with her, she had to go in to get this treatment thing they do. I don't know the ins and outs of it, but anyway, that was fine. We came out and we were waiting for the taxi back to Crumlin. And um, that, that morning, like we'd gone from Crumlin and gone back, you know, gone back over. And there was a swing there, and she had these, um she'd gotten them for her birthday, which had been on the 11th of March, so it was just a little a few weeks before um, the runners she loved runners they were they were in shoe, that shoe in the end we had race around to try and get because she was a size 6 mm. and I remember getting them and she had them on her and there was a pool of, of muck under the thing of course I'd be very fussy anyway and she was swinging on the swing and I remember thinking don't put your shoes in yeah. for God's sake mum anyway we got back to Crumlin that day and um, that was the, the, the day and I, one of the nurses she was from Donegal and Lynn really liked her and she was only she only worked part time and she normally mm. wouldn't be there but she was there that day and she said, "I just want to take some bloods when we got back." And I said, "But she took bloods this morning. Mm. I just knew there was something." And she said, "No, but there was something about the man She says I have to take them again." And then, in the meantime, this other guy came from the the head place, what's his, whatever it's called. Uh, that yeah. yeah, neurology. And he had been with her already. And he came just out of the blue now, mm. and he said to her, "I want you to draw a man." Anyway, she drew the man, she wasn't great at drama, she was okay, better than I'd be and uh, she'd also done a test that they do before bone marrow transplant, she'd done half this test, she had to go down with someone and she had done it and she was going to do the other half of it that afternoon. And then he came and he kind of disturbed that and she drew the man. This was all obviously to do with maybe the brain thing or oh, whatever. I don't know. really know. And in the meantime, Eileen had taken the blood. And actually, Eileen was very funny because she was from Donegal and she had come to, a couple of times she threatened Daniel O'Donnell on Lynn. <laughs> and of course, you can imagine, I don't want Daniel O'Donnell Robbie Williams or something she wanted. <laughs> so she used to have great banter with Eileen. They said she was supposed to stay in that night and she was having something else the next morning. This was all part of the going towards the transplant. And she said, she always said, I remember she wrote in one little diary, I don't care if it's three o'clock in the morning, if I can just get home to my own bed. So she said to them, now I'd say they knew at this stage, they knew they must have known something. They said, I remember, I think Angus was there and they said, look, you can go home tonight and you come back in the morning Lynn. And of course, she was delighted getting home to her own bed. So we went home and I just knew there was something. Um, so I rang and I couldn't get Angus that afternoon. And we actually went up to Brandon's sister and had food. And she wasn't eating that well when she could eat. Mm-hmm. Even still all through the illness, she would eat really well if she could. Mm-hmm. And she would tried to eat when she couldn't, but she didn't. And she looked a bit weak, all right. And then I couldn't get Angus earlier. And then when we got home, it was around ten and I rang again. And he, he's, he's, he used to go home to his children, He young children, mm-hmm. to come back in. Anyway, he rang me back around 11 or something like that and... That's what he said. He said, I'm sorry, it's it's back. There's nothing we can do. There's no point in the transplant. I remember thinking, I said, how am I going to tell her? And he said, I'll tell her if you like. And it's not that we wouldn't tell her. Brendan was upstairs. He'd gone up and sat with her, you know, just yeah. at the bed, I suppose, because of the way she was. And he came down. I just, I told him. And I, just said, I remember we went to bed that night we just thought... What? You know, we can't, there's nothing anybody could do. And I did say to Ingus, I said, well, we'll come in in the morning. I said, we'll see if we don't tell her. I said, maybe it's best you do tell her because she always had, she really did have a great, mm. good, that's kind of relationship with him. And again, I said to him, I don't want to go to the ward. Now, when we got there, we said we'd meet him at the end of this ramp and we knew where it was. And I didn't know he had an up at the top of the ramp because he headed up as so if he's gone mm. to the ward and she knew I'd say she knew anyway we did now there's no reason why we didn't tell her because it was all very open but for whatever reason we didn't and I'd say she knew she knew there was something up because you don't meet Inga's at the ramp and you, then we went to mm. the office it was the same office that he told her about the relapse I think or no it probably wasn't because actually I'd never been in this office before but anyway we sat there and it was just him and the nurse and it was the same thing she just sat there in front of him and he just said and he he questioned himself afterwards because mm. he did ask me about that he's just said to her Lynn, I'm sorry you know the, the leukemia back and you're going to die. And I remember she just sat there and she just she just cried a little that's when she cried and she said um, how long have I got and what way will I die and he couldn't really I mean we'd seen a few children already so you can imagine he couldn't really tell her he just said look you could get anything up to eight weeks which I think we all knew wasn't gonna happen mm. and he said him um, you'll just your body will kind of wind down and that was it she, she just that was she said. No, I I thought to myself, if you lie down there and die now. I don't blame you. But I knew she wouldn't. I kind of knew she wouldn't, and she didn't. She literally got up and she was determined to live every minute that she had. And she got nearly three weeks, which was
4: wonderful. It really was. What were and those? Uh, what did you do in the three weeks? Those three weeks yeah. or oh, so. Those three weeks
2: were. They really were. And they're the things that, you know, the way you say when you look back and maybe what gives you the strength. No, they definitely were. Um, how she lived those weeks. And I mean, she really did. I remember the priest at her funeral said, Lynn taught he was a friend of ours as well He and he was kind of a real alternative priest and he spoke out and stuff like that. So she loved him. She mm. wouldn't have been religious now. And we didn't particularly, I didn't particularly go regularly to master her. But she used to come when she was younger mm. and she asked for Kieran in those in that last week because she really liked him. He said um, how she taught us how to live and she taught us how to die. There were wonderful weeks and people mm. were wonderful and physically she was able to do so much. It was great because she literally was. I mean, we were actually, we were worn out. Mm. She she physically, she got the strength and she had it. And it was amazing because she was actually dying and, and she knew she was dying. Obviously, we went to Manchester. Westlife were brilliant. Oh. People People paid for us to go mm. and it was just friends through Moira in the hospital and um, they paid for us to this beautiful place to stay and there was a limousine they paid for a flight. Oh. They were wonderful now. Oh. Um, it was Niall Quinn and his wife and her sister mm. and her, and we didn't even know them now, but they yeah. knew the story, so they did that. And then she went. She got her her make a wish was on the kind of way anyway, and her, her make a wish was Rob was the famous Robbie Williams, oh. which we didn't know was ever going to happen because he was away, he was going away. Now that was just before we knew she was going to die, and then we knew, so we had to the wish had to mm. come quicker, obviously. So she picked the third wish, Dromoland, and again I think she kind of nearly picked that for us. Now Dromoland Castle wasn't a place we would have gone to not yeah. in those days mm. because we <laughs> just couldn't have afforded it, mm. but. I I mean it was, it was something else. Now, But I really think she did it for us but she had great when We were allowed to bring her friend and my friend and a whole load of mm. us came and the same in Manchester with some that came with us and um, Dremoland was great like uh, because it was just so kind of not our, not our thing. Mm. I remember the room she walked into the big suite and she said oh my God this is bigger than my whole house. <laughs> and was, We have a video that Gillian yeah. came with us and she took videos so it was lovely. And then Manchester was fabulous. I have to say those boys because it was, it was more than just the meet and greet because these people knew them. We yeah. were actually in the dressing room with them for about an hour and they brought out Brian McFadden at the time and it turned out that Siobhan, her friend, her mother is a teacher in Rossmania and she had taught Brian McFadden. Uh-huh. But anyway, she he brought, no, they all went uh, yeah. off the stage and he was with Kerry Katona at the time. She was a few months pregnant and we were in this beautiful suite and um, Nicky um, Byrne, he was really nice to us, the, the, mm. the oldies as we called ourselves, myself and Brendan and Dolores, mm. my friend uh, who had lost Lorraine and we were there and he got us, you know, got us a glass of wine and got a beer for Brendan and then the boys came back with the girls potato it because it's a huge, I, I don't mm. know if you've ever been in at the Manchester Arena, mm. oh my god it's enormous and of course they had great fun and Brian McFadden, apparently he wasn't supposed to be looking out to the court, he was doing all sorts of things because he was a bit crazy of course mm. and then they all came back and they all sat with us and talked and eventually Nicky Brown looked at us and she said we better get ready for the show and then Lynn said to him you better sing something for me now and uh, the third song "In swear it again he sang for her, you know, it was very sad it was just wishing it was a different reason he was singing it for her but they sat outside on the Thing. we kind of sat in the in the thing but it was wonderful I mean you know all the things we did we did various other things as well and it was just just amazing Like, and then the week that she, she her body did obviously she couldn't take any more and she was getting closer and that last kind of few days I suppose the best part of a week maybe she she kind of wound down and she was in the bed, she at home. but she stayed at yeah. home, and we—that was her one wish, and that's what led me to Laurel Lane. But she wrote her letters of thanks, and she did all sorts of things like that. She only had one little fit, and that was it. She could have fitted a lot and could have bled a bit, but mm. thankfully none of that happened, and we were able to manage the fit. And she still was able to eat and stuff. And I don't know, she just, um, she just, she just had, she just had this strength or something. And Kieran, the priest, you know, Kieran Dunn came down to her a couple of times, and we asked him afterwards, you know, without breaking any kind of confidence is what did she? say and he said her her one worry was about us how mm. we'd survive <laughs> without mm. her and Laura but I don't know whether it's because Laura and Lorraine of course was gone and whether because she, as I say she wouldn't have been particularly religious but I think she had this feeling that she, she was going to them. go to yeah, them yeah, yeah. and that mm. she you know that she'd be okay and whatever but she she just did yeah and then when she wasn't able to write I wrote the letters for her but she dictated mm. you know she was mm. just um I don't know she really had courage beyond her 15 yeah. years you know and I, I don't know if I'll ever have that card. After,
3: well, I think you have. I think it's <laughs> amazing. And um, after that point, then obviously Laura Lynn... Yeah. The children's hospice. Yeah, but that's
2: what led. Lynn, Lynn did say, it was the one thing she said. She said, I just, I want to, I don't want to go back to Crumlin because she knew there was a possibility if she fitted mm. a lot or something. And she said, no, um, she loved, you know, she really appreciated what Crumlin did as we did mm. for both the children, even though they couldn't save them. But um, she didn't want to go back and she wanted, do, her other wish then was to be buried with, with Laura, to, for Laura to be brought to be buried with her. She picked where she wanted to be buried. It's a little church there in Castleknock Village mm. and she artist it's actually Church of Ireland but it's that she really knew and she Lorraine was buried there I think that was partly oh, why mm-hmm. and she and literally <laughs> you can't you can't choose your grave <laughs> there unless you're dead but anyway mm-hmm. we you know we laughed at that but actually they put her well they, they didn't do it purposely but it just by chance Lorraine is here and there's an old person who actually gave me some money for the charge from time to time she lived not too far from us and her husband are there and she's there so she couldn't have got closer if she tried in that mm-hmm. sense and then she her wish was that we brought Laura so that that was her six months later because we had, to, it, I suppose, we had yeah. to go. Now, we only went on our own to Glasnevin and they didn't want us to go even, but we did go. Yeah. And they took her up because they weren't sure I suppose, what way the coffin would be. But it was still completely intact. And then we brought it and just it was just Brendan and I. It was very hard and they had to open Lynn's grave again. But it was the one thing she wanted. And I suppose for us, it was the funeral that we didn't remember. So in a way, it was yeah. kind of like resting the two of them you know, yeah. together. But I thought, yeah, what led me then was really that because she wanted to die at home. And I thought, I remember, not long after, I don't know when the thought came in, I just said... You know, if she had, if she hadn't, we we, irrationally we would have felt guilty probably forever. Mm. Even though you know, you you know, we would have known there was nothing we could do. So I'm so glad that we got that. But that's what led me to it. And then when I started, when I realised there was none here, and I started to do the research, I realised how much it really means to people. It's Mm. not, it's not really about the death at all. It's that's part of it. Mm -hmm. If if home isn't possible and you you don't, you know, hospital, hopefully Mm -hmm. you can avoid it. But um, it was the way the respite for the families, and of course a lot of the children or 24 hour care it would be slightly different to yeah. Lynn or Laura you know mm. either of them might have had some use may, maybe probably more at the end but, but it's more for you know 24 hour care really complex conditions and the, thing and that, the difference it makes
4: I think a hospice provides I mean it's, it's actually they're, they're probably the most special places on earth yeah, um, there's some sort of so. tranquility yeah. and peace yeah. that it's unlike exactly. anywhere else yeah. Um, but what you talked about is the. It gives you that time, yeah, the kind of quiet and the space yeah. to connect. Yeah. And, and and spend time together that's yeah. not a hospital It yeah. doesn't have all exactly. those fears and noises, noises and people and coming in and out and Even like,
2: their the, the stuff is kind of hidden you know the medical you have to have it but it's kind of hidden mm. and it really is that home from home mm. and just for the other children like that as, as you had oh, yeah. said earlier you know the siblings and all because life just isn't the same and particularly I mean I look at these families that I know and I still I'm very grateful for what we did have you know the time we had and that we didn't have this constant 24 hour care we had a touch mm. of it obviously see more with Laura, I suppose. But, you know, we didn't. And then I'm grateful for the, the years that we had where these children are born with this. And, you know, it is from day one, like it's literally 24 hour care and it's very, very tough. And as
3: you said earlier as well, it is very hard on the siblings that are already there because yeah. they're, they're living, it changes their yeah, life as well does. and they're living their yeah. lives. There. How yeah. has... um because you talk to various people about set do, setting up charities or yeah. doing something, whether it's a website or whether it's some sort of action to better something yeah. as a result of their grief. How has that helped you set up the hospice? How yeah. has that helped you not come to terms, but just live every day?
2: Yeah, I think it, it was a big help because now that I've pulled back a lot at now all these years down the road I I find a part of me misses it like part of me is glad because I you know I'm getting older and you can't keep mm. up that kind mm. of pace. Um I often wonder if I didn't do it how would mm. I still have survived as well as I hope I would mm. and I hope I would have done something but I I do think it had a, it played a big part. Yeah, I I think so I hope so because I suppose it kept it, it kept us doing stuff, and we were doing stuff that we knew would mean something to somebody. Now you know, so I'm glad it was that I, that I did. Mm. But yeah, I often think, what would I have done, and would I have survived as well? Yeah. Because I do find now even the pulling back, and I don't know whether it's maybe all these years later. Sometimes we say, sometimes these things hit you, you know, way mm. down yeah. the road that you do. You know, the enormity of it in the beginning, and you're kind of the first was quite a blur. Yeah, yeah a you're, exactly. Sort of. Yeah, you know, so you don't know, weird, and limbo but I do find, yeah, yeah, I miss the girls more and more each year now. You know, Laura's birthday would have been the twentieth there last Sunday, Sunday weekend. You know, she would have been twenty; she'd be twenty-four. If she was here wow. now, and Lynn will be thirty-three now in March. Wow. So, you know, and Lynn will be gone eighteen years this year, and Laura will be gone twenty. So, you know, it's kind of it's a long time, but I, I do miss them more. I think about them more, and I find um, I find I'm a little bit more down, and maybe that is partly because mm. I was so busy; I didn't have time. To think mm. and whatever, I don't know, and yet we were dealing with it in a way because it was always like all the you know, mm. interviews and different things, it was always having to tell the story and talk. Mm. But I'm so glad now, and people like that that's what I have to say. Like, people are good, I still to this day, like because um, a couple now that she writes books, Fran and Arthur, they're her husband, herself and her husband, and they publish the books and all, they're great, and they give literally every penny to Laura Lynn and they do all the shows now. They started off years ago, she rang me one day, it was really funny. I got this phone call when I'd started off and obviously mm. she heard me on an interview or something and she got my number and she rang and she said um, now I've written a few books and whatever and she said but I never did anything with them and anyway she went on and on I can go on and on myself as we know Brendan said "Yeah, no one can go on more than you but <laughs> anyway <laughs> she, she, we were on the phone for about an hour and I went Fran knows this now and uh. she, she said you know I said to myself I'll never hear from her again because she said I, I want to do something I think I'll get mm. them published or do something anyway." and I was very wrong about that one because 12 books later and she. Raised over half a million oh, now. That's and they've, but when I go and help them at the stands, because they literally do all the shows now, like Bloom, the RDS, mm. they do all the shows there and they go around the country. They've spread like the word as well, mm. as part from the money, they've really, they're yeah, great yeah. ambassadors and they love doing it and all that. Mm. But when you're there, when you're there, I was only there with them at the holiday show. I, I just go for an hour and a half. Now, these people, they're in their 70s, you would never think it, but they stand there for all the, at all these shows for five days, maybe Christmas shows, mm. and they're long. I don't know how they do it because a couple of hours is enough for me. But anyway, you're there and you see the people are just so. And this is all these years later, where you know, and they give and give and give. Only for all of the people we would never we have had it, Do you know, it would never be there.
4: And how did you find um, yourself and Brendan getting like it's very hard for, for two yeah. people to grieve in the same way yeah. and it's very hard for relationships to endure Even they can be sibling relationships parent yeah. relationships yeah. Uh, but couples it can be very very difficult yeah. to endure something so huge and to, yeah. to get through it how did you guys
2: I don't know. I often wonder, really. So somehow, some people do say that. Are you still It's like, a question? You, we w- I would have often gotten asked because when I did the research, even in around you know lots of places in England and Scotland and Wales, a lot of families say the marriages didn't survive. Yeah. And that was even with other children. I I don't know. I suppose he, Brandon was always there with me, but he was in the background a lot, and then um, and he was working and stuff. And I don't know. We just got on, and we we do. And he wouldn't have talked as much or talked as openly as I would. And I do think that everybody agrees differently anyway, but I think men and women particularly, you know, grieve. Somehow, I suppose we we just, you know, I I think Lynn again, just the way she dealt with Mm -hmm. what she did and she probably helped him a lot. He he wouldn't talk about it that much really Mm -hmm. now, you know, but I can see he's pretty broken hearted and I often looked at him and thought, you know, I, I felt sorry for myself, but I felt even sorrier for him because I think men, they do find yeah. it, particularly men of mm. our, his his generation, our generation, do you know, maybe younger people now, hopefully, I think boys and men, they're more open. Anyway, I hope they will be. Yeah. But I think, you know, it was hard. And I think as he felt he couldn't maybe or didn't want to or whatever. Mm. Do you know, do something in their strange. memory
3: every year for their birthdays or do you do, I, do you
2: just have a peaceful time or how, yeah, do, you,
3: just, how do you get through yeah. that day?
2: We don't actually funny enough. We did the first usual, the mm. first we did mass for each and that but I haven't, I, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I find that coming up to the day, the day itself is, you know, the birthdays mm. or the mm. anniversaries are, are not that hard. Christmas now, while I still like mm. Christmas and parts of Christmas and, but it, that can be hard as well. Still
3: hit you out of the blue, like you might be in a shop yeah. and see something they like, and yeah. that's or a song yeah. or
2: something, yeah, or something that, yeah. yeah, just something that, and it might be the very day that you don't think you're kind of mm, so yeah. bad, and mm. suddenly then something like that, mm. yeah, yeah. I, f- I found that over the years, all right, yeah. and then I suppose looking at other children when I when I am around some of the families that I would Laura mm-hmm. Lynn and that you know, you're kind of looking and thinking, God, and they have to face it as well, you yeah. know. But I I know from them as well, and that probably gives us a good lift that you know they do. Say the ones we would know. I don't know everyone because I'm not. I was never based on the ground I anyway. Mean, you know, all my work yeah. is voluntary and that. But I would be in and out, and I'm still in touch, even though I've pulled back a lot. I'm actually meeting the CEO tomorrow now. Just they oh. she's a new CEO, or relatively. You know, and mm-hmm. they're kind of looking at you know doing doing maybe yeah. something different, a new strategy that they're looking at. So I want to find out. But it is um, the families that I do know, and the ones that sadly, their little ones are gone now, and they're lovely, and they just say they really say all the time how much it meant, and they couldn't have survived without it. They would have mm-hmm. had to if it wasn't there, I suppose, but. Mm-hmm. The fact that it's there, yeah. so that's why I think I feel so strongly about it, you know, and that it keeps going and that it is helping them. It can't change the end, unfortunately, no. you know, but, but at what least a beautiful what it can do. legacy and it's yeah. a legacy you have yeah. left behind for your two yeah. girls.
4: I mean, yeah, their I names, yeah, so someone said that, yeah, when people. we're gone, their names yeah. will yeah. Still, their names still be names there. Are so yeah. familiar to people, um, yeah. and you guys, yeah. um, took something that's truly unimaginable and, and created a beautiful legacy in both their names thanks. thank you so much for being on the podcast yeah. and speaking thank you to this.
2: very much too thanks
1: hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget